0: How you guys doing this morning? You doing all right? You look a little bit more energetic than normal, most of you, except for Kyle was right, man. You parents of little kids, they just get up at the same time. I was fully embracing today, like, okay, I'm going to get up, the kids are going to get up the same time they always do. I could be up at 4 o'clock today. Okay, I have to get ready for this. And God was good. They slept in until 6.15. It was like, What happened? They slept two hours more than they normally do. That never happens, but it did today. So I'm feeling really good this morning, too. I'm excited to be here, fully rested and ready to share with you and continue our series um, in the book of James. You know, this series has really been... I'm just going to set this in my way. Sorry about that. Uh, This series has really just been a series of call-outs from James, hasn't it? He's been encouraging us um, to look at our lives and see... Do they reflect genuine faith? Are we living out our faith in our lives? Is it evident in our attitudes, in our actions, in our relationships, in the way we speak, in the way we think, in the things that we value? And I don't know about you, but for me, every week I've been like, whoa, that's challenging. That's really good to think about. Okay. Every week it's like, oh, okay. It's a new call out. Genuine faith is meant to impact every area of our life, isn't it? And it's really good for us to take an honest look at our lives and see, is that the case? Is that really the case? And then just ask God, why not if it's not? What's going on? What would you show me? How would you want me to respond to this? That's our hope for this sermon series. I hope it's been happening for you if you've been here for that. I hope it happens today, too. This is not going to be different from the rest of them. There's a new call out for today, this morning. If you were here last week, then you remember Kyle shared with us uh, what godly wisdom was like and contrasted that with worldly wisdom, wisdom that is true versus false wisdom. And what we saw was that worldly wisdom is characterized by pride, right? It puts self above everything else. It's rooted in what's right for me. Number one, it's focused on the here and now. doesn't even take God into account. It's based on all kinds of lies. We see and hear worldly wisdom around us all the time, don't we? It's a message, a bunch of messages that we hear at every turn, right? The the world loves to tell you that only you know what will make you happy, and that's the highest good for you. Go find that. So you do you, right? That's pretty common. We hear that a lot. Let the haters hate and tell you what they want, but you do you. If it feels good, do it. Go out there, get yours, build your kingdom, unleash your inner awesome. I think Kyle said that last week. I don't know if anybody's ever said that to me, but I've heard that message behind what was being said. Have you guys heard or seen the new Diet Coke slogan? Anybody? Because I can. That's what it is. Why don't you check out one of their most recent commercials? Is that not the message of the world? It makes me feel good. I actually agree. Diet Coke makes me feel good. (laughs) I've given in. Life is short. Just do you whatever that is, right? We hear this all the time. Well, last week we also saw from Kyle what godly wisdom looks like, though, right? It's characterized by humility. It's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. It produces a harvest of righteous living. That sounds awesome, right? But here's the problem, and here's what we're going to focus on today. When James takes an honest look at the church that he's writing to, he, he didn't see this beautiful picture of men and women living according to godly wisdom. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He saw all kinds of sin and selfishness and pride being lived out. And so today, just like every other week, we're going to see him call out one more time, right? And as we look at what he has to say, I think it's going to be a call out for us too. And I think, I hope, it's going to be really good. I'm confident that it is. So that's where we're headed this morning, but before we jump in, let's pray. God, thanks for today and just the chance we have to come together uh, to worship you and turn our hearts and our Years and our attention to you, and I just want to pray for this morning that you would speak to each one of us, God, that you give us humility, you give us a quickness to hear what you'd want to say, and a quickness to apply it to our lives and live it out, as James has been calling us to this whole time. And we want to give this morning to you, we pray this in your name, amen. All right, we're going to jump right in. This is James 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is to no purpose, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? He's not holding back as we go into chapter four, right? That's an intense call out. So first things first, there is a problem, there's a big problem, and the problem is sin. These guys' lives is marked by sin and pride, Right? He's saying, take an honest look at your life, guys. This is what you'd see, fighting and quarreling and lust and hate and envy and pride and jealousy and selfish ambition and all kinds of sin. There's a problem for sure, and when we have a problem, the first and most important thing for us to do is to admit that we have a problem, is to see we have a problem. And so this chapter begins with some loving confrontation from James, right? Your lives are full of sin, And they shouldn't be. That's a problem. But why is this? You ever wonder that? Why if we know not to sin, and at least on some level we don't want to sin, why do we find ourselves continuing to sin? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Maybe been in a place in your life where you've asked yourself that question. I think it's a really, really important question for us to answer if we ever want to honestly deal with the sin in our lives. What's causing this? What's going on? And that's exactly the question that James wants to answer in these verses, right? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And before we go on to talk about what that is, I just want to point out that there is a reason for the sin, right? There is a reason. Sin isn't just happening. Something is causing it. I mentioned I have kids earlier. Our boys. One of them's three, and one of them's one and a half, and they're at this phase in their life where they're starting to fight with one another. It's a lovely phase. Sometimes they fight, and they kind of are having fun, and they enjoy it. Usually it takes a turn at some point, and at least one of them stops enjoying it, becomes serious. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I have to intervene, and so a lot of times I found myself asking, why'd you do that? Why'd you hit your brother? And it, it goes like this. Luke, why'd you hit Jake? Cuz. <laughs> Just Because? Yeah. No reason at all? No. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And you know, he's cute. So the first couple times he said that, I laughed. But you know what? I don't believe him at all, right? Nobody would believe him. There's a reason you're hitting your brother. And I know also that for him to learn and grow, he has to realize that. He has to embrace. There's a reason this is happening. And once he embraces that, he can figure out what it is and then figure out how to address it if he wants to, which I hope he does at some point, right? If he never embraces that, he's going to grow up and be an adult and walk around smacking people in the face (laughs) and just be stuck. I just cuss. I don't know. I just do it. Right now, it's a legitimate fear that I have. Uh, I hope, right? And if I don't help him learn... There's a reason for this. There's something going on. I wouldn't be a very good dad either, would I? Lord willing, someday he's going to embrace. There's something going on here. There's something causing this. And he's going to embrace that it's serious enough to try to figure out what it is. I know that's a silly example, and I know you're so much more mature than my one-and-a-half-year-old. Don't think I think that lowly of you. But even still, I've seen plenty of adults who are stuck In denial, right? Making the same mistakes over and over and over, and it's because they won't take seriously that there's a problem or that it's serious enough to figure out what is causing it. What's going on here? So, what is causing all this sin? Well, maybe it's easier to say, what is it not, right? It's not other people, it's not the devil, it's not God. I don't know if you're like me, I'm really quick. To, to blame somebody else and not say, the problem is with me. And I think that's what James wants to hit on first, right? It's not other pre- people. You can certainly let other people influence you. They will. But they don't choose sin for you. You do. You know, blaming someone else for our sin is something that's been happening since sin first started, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned and then God comes to Adam and says, what happened? What happened? was the first thing he did. This woman you put here with me, she did it. And then she gave some to me, so I did it. So, I mean, it's her fault, or maybe yours. You put her here. He didn't didn't actually say that, I guess. I'm adding a little bit, but he said, you put her here. He was so fast to shift the blame, wasn't he, to Eve, so fast, Something else has been going on with my kids. Um, so recently, Jake, my oldest, a three-year-old, when he'll be wanting to do something I won't let him do or whatever. He'll get angry and, and he'll respond by hitting me or kicking me or punching me. Who knows what it's any kind of reaction. It's an adventure in our household right now. Hopefully that won't last very long. But he's been saying something that got my attention. I was like, this must be a mistake. What is going on when that's happening? So I, I stopped him from playing downstairs, you're making me hit you, what, what are you talking about? You're making me hit you because you won't let me play downstairs, I was like, are you not communicating what you mean properly, what's going on? And at some point I realized, no, he means that, he's saying it's my fault that he's hitting me. I was like, you know, that nobody says stuff like that, but he does because he doesn't, he doesn't know that's obviously not true. Right? We don't have to be taught how to blame shift. We learn it so early on. Right? No, whoa, whoa, not me. Not me. All right, well, Eve, she must have had a really different response, right? No, not exactly. She she shifted the blame too. There was was no other human in existence, so she didn't have anyone else to blame. She blamed the devil, right? The devil made me do it, and he was involved for sure. She passed blame to And neither of those excuses went very far. God knew it wasn't Eve's fault that Adam sinned, and he knew it wasn't the devil's fault, right? He knew, yeah, I know the devil's going to tempt you, he'll lie to you, he'll prowl around like a lion looking to devour you, but if you sin, it's because you chose to sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, the devil has no control over you, but you can choose to give the devil a foothold in your life. And as long as we're on the blame train, it's not God either. Maybe some of you would think, I would would never blame God. But I think sometimes we do. We know God is sovereign. We know that God could choose to allow a temptation in our life or not allow a temptation in our life. And sometimes it's easy for us to turn and say, well, it's his fault. He allowed that in my life. If you remember back to our first week in this series, in James 1, 13, we said, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Not only does God not tempt us, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that he's faithful to us in our temptation, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And when we're tempted, he's faithful to provide a way out under us. God is not our enemy in our temptations, he's our ally. If we give in, we give in. You guys know that's where I'm going with this. At the end of the day, the problem comes not from outside of us, but from within us. We are the reason for the sin in our lives, our own selfish desires. Let's go back to our passage really quickly. I know we already read this, but in James 1, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions or pleasures or your sinful desires, they're at war within us. we jump back to that same passage from James 1 and continue reading after we saw that God doesn't tempt us, it says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. We're dragged away by our own evil desire, there's no one else to blame. So why is that so important for us to embrace, right? I just talked about this for a long time, right? Why is that so important for us? Because as long as we deny that there's a problem of sin with a real cause, and that we're the real cause, we cannot and will not do what's necessary to address the problem. We're going to talk about that, what that is in just a minute. But first, before we do, I just wonder, what about you? How are you denying or minimizing sin in your life right now? Are you tempted to shift the blame for sin in any area? to someone or something else. It's good for us to take a look at our own lives. The reality is that we have selfish, self-centered, self-focused, self-promoting, self-gratifying desires in our hearts and that they're at war within us, fighting against our love and our devotion and our faithfulness to God. And instead of producing a harvest of righteousness, it's producing a harvest of sin. This is the environment we find ourselves in, the world, right? When James talks about the world, he's not talking about the physical universe. He's talking about the sort of ungodly system of human life when it's lived in separation from God or in opposition to him. He's talking about life without God in the picture and apart from him. Life lived according to that worldly wisdom that Kyle talked about last week. The world is the playground for our prideful self-will, and self-focused. It's the playground for worldly people and systems and structures that leave God out of the picture entirely. It's the playground for the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. And so we, here we are, right? We're attacked by the world and messages from the world and by the devil. And they appeal, those appeals, they come and they appeal to the selfish desires that we have and they're all working together to draw us away from God, and at the end of the day, we have to choose. Who will we love, the world or God? James actually uses some pretty strong language in there, doesn't he? We go back to verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God is a jealous lover. The Bible describes him that way time and time again. Jealous in the sense that he wants our undivided love and devotion, and that he's not willing to share that with anyone or anything else. So being a friend of the world is like committing spiritual adultery. This is how it goes down, right? We're surrounded by the world. We start to pay attention to the world, and we let some of the worldly thoughts and attitudes catch our attention, pique our interest a little. We start entertaining some thoughts. That turns into some innocent flirting, and then one thing leads to another, and before we know it, we've walked right down a path into the arms of another lover. This is the language James is using here. The world is a slippery slope for our hearts, I think it's especially hard for a lot of us here this morning, young, bright, educated, capable men and women who have our futures in front of us and the whole world to go after and get, promising us joy and excitement and fulfillment if we would just turn away from our first love and pursue with undivided devotion. If we listen to that voice for long enough before we know it, we're far from God and committed to another lover. James goes even further. Being a friend of the world is the same as making ourselves God's enemy. Make no mistake, we cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. We're either a lover or an enemy. We have to choose. And as we walk through our lives, we do choose by the way we live. Jesus is Speaking about the world and the allure of the world in Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, "'Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness.'" If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word there translated money is mammon, really means possessions, anything we could go get in the world. Jesus is pretty challenging in the same light, isn't he? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? What do you treasure in your life right now? That next promotion, that vacation, that spouse, that next house, success, influence, looking really righteous or spiritual, praise of people, comfort, leisure, pleasure. If something jumps out to you. What does that communicate to you about your heart toward God? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. What other masters are we serving? What controls how we spend our time or money? What consumes our thoughts? Either we'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one or despise the other. We can't take two lovers and be faithful to either one. Where is your love And devotion. Guys, I, I think if we're honest, we're all find if we look into our lives that in some way the world is appealing to us, right? We're flirting with the world in one way or another. So yes, there's definitely a problem, and the problem is that there's sin in our lives, but the real problem is that reveals that our hearts are divided. So, what do we do about this? Let's keep reading. Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. There's a lot of things James says in that, but really, our choices, when we're confronted with our own sin and our divided heart, it really boils down to two, two ways to respond: Humility or pride. Pride will ignore sin. Pride will minimize sin. Pride will deny that sin is a real problem. Pride will blame others. It sets itself up in opposition to God. Pride will not submit. Pride will not accept responsibility. Pride will hide. Pride leaves us vulnerable to the world and vulnerable to the devil. Pride will not turn to God for help. Pride seeks to avoid pain now, but in the end, it leads to even greater pain the Bible has a lot to say about pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Make no mistake, sinning is not good, but responding to that sin with pride is to double down on it. It's even worse. On the other hand, humility acknowledges the full weight of sin. Humility agrees with God that sin is a serious problem that needs to be addressed. Humility doesn't hide. Humility accepts responsibility. Humility turns to God for help and receives grace. Humility accepts sorrow now. But in the end, It leads to joy. James is giving us a picture of what it looks like to respond to our sin with humility, with repentance. Repentance means to turn. It means to submit to God. It means drawing near to God by confessing our sins and grieving our sins with a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow isn't feeling sorry for our sin. It's being sorry for our sin against God and letting that provoke change in us. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's the kind of sorrow that humility will bring. Repentance that leaves no regret. Repenting means accepting God's grace and forgiveness. It means obeying God as we move forward in our life. Humility is the foundation of repentance. It's also the foundation of a real and living faith, which is what James has been hitting at all along in his letter. James, he's been challenging us to live out our faith. Let that impact all these areas of life. And in this section, he's pleading with us, let this impact and shape your response to sin too. This is the very heart of the gospel. We're sinful, broken, selfish people in need of forgiveness, right? And that's true before we ever trust Jesus the first time, and that's true moving forward whenever we sin after that. Our need for Jesus and for grace never goes away, but our response to sin reveals the condition of our hearts and the quality of our faith. We show what our faith is made of by how we respond to our sin, Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We say we have faith. Let's hold firmly to it. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love those verses. Jesus is here to help us in our time of need. And when do we need him more than when we see our lives full of sin, our hearts divided? That's our time of need. So how will we respond to the sin in our lives? I think that's the main question James is trying to bring about in this part of his letter. So I have a confession to make. I was actually given all of chapter 4 to speak on and also six verses in the next chapter to speak on, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get to all of those sections. All right? My bad. Here's the deal. It's okay. Here's why it's okay. Because in those sections... James describes what it looks like for our relationship to other people and our attitude towards our achievements, our accomplishments, and our attitude towards our possessions and the things that we have. He's talking about what does it look like for those to be marked by humility. And guys, that comes when we're humble before God in our hearts. That's the natural outflow into all those areas. So we didn't get into it. I'd encourage you to read those. And look at them yourself if you get a chance. All right, before we wrap it up this morning, I just want to ask us to take a couple minutes and just honestly look at our lives. Can we do that? I have just a couple questions for us to think about. The first is this. How are you flirting with the world? What sin or worldly passion or possession or achievement or success, whatever it might be, what's threatening to draw your love and devotion away from the Lord? Does anything stand out to you? If it does, what step of humble faith would God call you to to address that? The second question is this. How are you responding to sin? When you see sin in your life, when you see your heart divided, how how do you respond? I think James is highlighting something really important for us. It actually took me a really long time to kind of understand this. For a long time, I thought the goal is just... Be a good person. Be really good. Avoid all those sins. That's what the message is. And certainly a living faith will motivate us to avoid sin and do what pleases God in the first place. That's absolutely true. But it will also motivate us to humble ourselves, turn from our sins, and run to Jesus when we do sin. Let's not forget that part of it. I don't know if this is true. I hesitated to say this. I'm just going to pose it as something to think about. What do you think will determine the passion and love and devotion and excitement and joy you experience in your relationship with God in 10, 20, 50 years from now? I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that. There's probably no one answer. I wonder if it isn't how you respond to your sin right now today. If we respond in humility, I believe we're drawn closer to Jesus and we'll worship him more and be more thankful for everything he's done in our lives. Each week of this series, we've asked everyone to stand and, and read James 1, 22 through 25 as sort of a, a prayer that we would be putting into action our faith. And I want to end the talk this morning here by having us all stand and read this together. So if you join me, please stand and read this together as a prayer for us. James 1, 22 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. In his doing. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, thank you for today and the chance to come here and remember you, to be challenged, to be men and women of genuine, authentic faith that impacts our lives. And we do pray it would impact each and every area of our lives. And especially this morning, we pray it impact how we respond to sin and how we respond when we see our heart divided and and pulled away from you by the world. I pray you'd help us not be deceived by the world, that we'd see the world as another lover wooing us away from you. God, I pray you'd give us more grace so that we can respond in humility and in faith in you, that we could turn from our sin, run to you, trust you. I pray that when people see us, they would not see a bunch of men and women who have it all together and are perfect and don't ever sin, but they'd see men and women who, when they do sin, run hard after you and respond in humility, because we know that you are faithful. We thank you for all of that, and we pray this in your name. Amen.